Frightfest alumni who've been to many will, will be familiar with some of his work. David, uh, did you co-write Cheap Thrills? I co-wrote Cheap Thrills. Yes, which was one of my favourites from 2013. Thank you, yes, I think so. My time is a flat circle, so I don't know when anything, what year anything was. Nor do I, nor do I. Yes. And I, I've been having to think of these things in all the interviews I do, and, I, and still I go, oh, is it? And I've even, yeah. I've even looked this stuff up today before I spoke to you, so <laughs> that makes me even worse. Um, but anyway... We, but I we, think you're right. I think you're right. 2013 sounds good. Yeah, because that, that was the first year I started doing these preview podcasts. Um, so oh, great. Shame I missed you then. But anyway. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, we've not come to talk about that because that's in the past. The future is represented by a film that you've wrote and directed called Bad Match. Yes, correct. And... There's nothing. If people go Googling, there's nothing to be found. There's nothing to be found. No, we're very uh, uh, secretive about it. No. This what, is the world just, premiere of world premieres. It's <laughs> the world premiere of world premieres, yes. We're, we're hoping that, uh, you know, everyone will see it and lasers will shoot out of their eyes and they'll be ascended to some brand new dimension and um, it'll be amazing. It says that in the lanyard, though, that's what you get. That's, yes, yes, that, yes. Pa- well, we're very upfront. You know, we're very upfront about it. <laughs> so give us, for the, for, to, to help people along, do you want to give us a brief synopsis as to what Bad Match is about? Sure. Um, it's a little tricky, actually, because it's hard to sort of give a full scope of what the movie is without getting into, like, spoiler territory. Give me a logline, then. Give me a logline. So... So, more or less, it, what it is is like a, it's a fatal attraction for the Tinder generation. Nice. So, it's about this, you know, like, online dating sort of Casanova who's got a perfect life. And he, you know, it's, it's, it's very sort of where I'm from, which is like the east side of Los Angeles, where it's like kind of sort of hipster central. Yeah. Um, that's like sort of the, the 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 location of the movie. That's where I took a lot of uh, you know a lot of stuff from. Got you. Um, and so you know he's like got this great job where he writes copy for you know uh, 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 a, an advertising agency, and you know he's on Tinder every day and with a different girl every night, and he sort of like loves them and leaves them because that's what you can do when you know you're like dealing with this whole sort of modern-day online dating world we live in. Indeed. Um, and he meets this woman named Riley, who's, like, played by Lily Simmons, who's, like, incredibly sexy and cool, and uh, unfortunately, it seems that she may also be a little bit on the nutso side. Uh, and she starts to kind of harass 
uh, Harris, our main character, who's played by Jack Cutmore Scott, who's a fellow uh, Brit, by the way. Okay. Um, um, and uh, and so his life starts to kind of fall to pieces. Um, and then that's about the first 40 minutes. And then things go a little zany from there. Okay. So essentially, you've got someone who is arrogant and complacent and entitled and privileged, and then that all gets checked out. Basically, yeah. I mean, part of, you know, what I wanted to do with this movie was kind of take the idea of the of Fatal Attraction where this guy is, you know... Well, he wants it all done in Fatal Attraction. That's the kind of one it all is. Yeah, exactly. And he he sort of pays the price. And, um, you know, so we wanted to take that. I I kind of like, to be pretentious about it, I was originally pitching it as like a postmodern Fatal Attraction. You know, where it's like we use the beats of Fatal Attraction and then play off those beats to sort of represent a more kind of timely worldview, I think. Well, I guess, I guess with, the, with the Tinder generation, and I think I can say that as a man who's turned 40, because I'm, <laughs> I'm not the Tinder generation, because yeah. um, I've been married since 2003. Um, oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, is, that, um, is, is that it? Tinder makes relationships transactional, not relationships. It's like, totally. it's like saying... Hey, the, you know, like the joke about the Big Mac doesn't look like the photograph. Obviously, Tinder sure. is full of those stories, isn't it? Is, totally, as a, totally. As a thing. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, like the 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 idea, because you know, look, I I wrote a lot of this movie from certain life experiences that I've had. Fair play. And and I believe me, I'm no uh, Casanova, but uh, you know, but you no. know, you go. You, you go on these dating apps and it's like, it's just the, it's like what, what dating life, it's the opposite of that. Because you're like looking at these people and you're like, oh, let's go out on a date to find out if we have some sort of connection. Mm. Whereas before it was like, you would meet somebody, you'd have, a, you'd feel a connection and then you'd go, hey, let's explore that connection and get yeah. to know each other better. Whereas now it's like, hey, let's go out and meet to see if there's anything there. No, no, I keep keep thinking about it, even though I'm not someone that's going to be in the market for it. And I keep thinking to myself, if I'm on it, I'd be going, well, you don't support Liverpool, you don't like Sonic Youth, there's nothing, it's never going to happen, it's never going to happen. Right, right, right. Which is ridiculous. (laughs) Totally. And you just, and you just base this, like, these judgments on, you know, a bio that they have and five pictures and, like... And then you sort of like move on. It's like shopping, you know. You're like per- perpetually window shopping, um, and so it just sort of like, you know, I ask the question of like, well, what what happens when you know somebody who may not be right in the head gets a hold of 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 something like this? Well, there's, there's a whole there's a whole kind of common story now of people ending up with their Tinder date living with them at, for five days at a time, and they they're not quite sure how this happened. There's been a number of these kind of stories where it's like, especially if you live in a house share where your friends are like, um, can she go now? Or can, <laughs> can, can he go now? He's eaten, all yeah. the fr- he's eaten us out of house and home. And yet, you know, and, and so there's people who have been able to sort of almost sofa surf, as it were, 
on their ability to get dates on Tinder. Totally, totally. And, you know, like, the other thing is you sort of never truly know what you're going to get on the other side of that profile. You know, you, mm. you, you come over to someone's house and, like, you know, I, I have heard stories of people who, like, came over to, you know, some girl's house and, like, the roommates were there doing, like, whippets in the kitchen and, you know, <laughs> like getting wild and you're like oh oh no i thought i thought this was just going to be like the two of us having a nice quiet evening together so there's just so much unknown and we're so willing to just do it you know we're just so willing to like go out on these dates with people we've never met and like get in the back of a uh you know a, an uber or a lyft with someone we have no idea who they are to put our address into you know like an app that anybody can see, anybody can do anything with, um, you know, and to me that's like kind of scary, even though I still do it myself. No, I've, I, I recently read um, The Circle, the David Eggers book. And, oh, yeah. And that's about someone who joins Google, Facebook type company and becomes super duper at working at that company because they're willing to live their whole life in the public eye. And I'm reading this right. book, book going, I shouldn't tweet anymore. I shouldn't go on Facebook <laughs> yeah, anymore. Yeah. And yeah, within half an hour, I was back on. And, and it's weird because you're right. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a want and a, and, a, and a fearlessness of living out in the open. And almost like now we've reached a point where if you can't find information about someone online, your suspicion isn't, oh, well, they're quite a private person. Your suspicion is, well, what have they got to hide? Yes, totally, totally. So, I mean, the other day I sold a couch on Craigslist. Yeah. And I went and, like, the person left their name in the email, and I, like, went and looked up all the information about them that I could possibly find on, like, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, like, to make sure that, for me, I was like, oh, well, I don't want them to be a creep. But then you think about it, and you're like, well, I'm the creep. Like, I'm the one that's, like, looking at this person's whole life. Yeah. Right from the, you know, comfort of my, of my well, of my old couch at the time. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, you know, seeing who this person was. They came to the door, and I was like, you have two kids. Your husband's name is George. You know, you work at whatever. It's like, and here's my couch. So, you know, in the wrong hands, that can be very, very... Uh, dangerous and scary yeah I, I must admit i did a recent one where not quite not not couches and stuff but where like a local sort of community group within facebook so just the few streets you live in as it were. right and i said and somebody was asking whether anybody had a you know a trolley lift you know for lift two wheels and a thing for lift heavy boxes up and i was right. like i said i've got one and then then she just private messaged me and said where do you live and so suddenly <laughs> yeah, yeah. A complete stranger is coming to my house. <laughs> yeah. To yeah. collect. I mean, it's a twenty-five-pound trolley. So if she never came back, you know, <laughs> I'd, I'd not be exactly upset. But then, yeah, the weird, right. the, then, the, then the kind of opposite of like the weirdness is that she came back and gave me a bottle of wine as well. She so like so out of just the internet, a complete stranger has borrowed something from my house and come back with a bottle of wine as a thank you for borrowing it. And yet neither of us know each other, and we still don't know each other to this day beyond yeah. our first names. It's crazy. Yeah. So, so when you when you're, they're all big ideas. I mean, they, 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 you could get out of control with 
with what you're trying to say about the world and digital society stuff. So how did you begin to drill that down into a kind of, you know, 85, 90 minute sort of uh, horror thriller? So originally, actually, this was like a completely different movie. Okay. And I wanted it to be like after hours, but for Tinder, right? So like... Weirdly, uh, can I just stop you there? Weirdly, I've just done my review for 68 Kill. And yeah. I've, I've, I described that film as being if John Waters reimagined uh, After Hours. Oh, interesting. I've been seeing the After Hours uh, sort of comparison a lot, actually, to that movie. It, it never really occurred to me, but I think it does make sense. I mean, it's like a one sort of wild, horrendous scenario after the next. It's the haplessness of the central character, you know, Chip, yeah. it's the haplessness. Sorry, go on, I interrupted you. No, no, that's okay. I'm, I'm always happy to talk about 68 Kill or anything Trent Hague related. He will come up more in this podcast. Well, he's in your movie, so he should do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um... I could do an entire separate podcast about about Trent Haga and all that he's done for me. Um, but uh, um, so originally it was like this sort of idea about living in Los Angeles and kind of the craziness that can happen when, you know, you meet somebody for the first time online and like they show up at your house all of a sudden unannounced and then you sort of go on this like wild crazy adventure sort of like after hours meets something wild like yeah, so it's fun and you know exciting for the first half and then it sort of takes a dark sort of turn mm. in the second half yeah and it just wasn't quite working for me i just didn't like love it as much as i wanted to um and I was doing what they call the water bottle tour. So, like, when I, I wrote this horror movie script that got on something called The Blacklist, which is, like, uh, the, the best unproduced screenplay so or got, something. So you got on The Blacklist, not, not the, so the, the actual, what, the, the, the proper one, not the, 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 the website where they actually aggregate stuff. You were on The Blacklist. <laughs> I was on The Blacklist, Why yeah. was it? That's off um, to you, sir. That's off to you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and but so when that happens, you know, suddenly like everybody wants to meet you and whatever, um, and you go on what they call a water bottle tour because you go to all these different production companies and studios and they all, you know, ask you if you want a bottle of water, and so you take <laughs> it and so you know you go on the water bottle tour. Um, nice description. And, and uh, oh, I wish I could say I came up with it on my own, but uh, you know what? I did. It's 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 completely original, and I came up with it. You're talking, um, you're talking to Brit now. You've just you've owned that now. You own it. Oh, great, great, good, good, good. Um, so, uh, um, so you know, everyone was asking me like, "Oh, what's your next, what's your next movie? What's your next script going to be?" Blah 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 blah. And you know, in those meetings, you have to come up with a pitch, like the elevator pitch, where you know you say something and you say one sentence, and everyone like you're supposed to get everybody excited, even though a movie is full of nuance and subtlety, but, you know, they want to know what your, what meets what is your movie. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, and so I was writing this thing about Tinder, and I was like, oh, kind of like, uh, you know, and I just sort of pulled it out of my ass, and I was like, a fatal attraction for the Tinder generation. And people were going, oh, my God. Oh, we love that. We love that. We want that. We want that. And so I was like, okay, well, let me see if, like, you know, I didn't really want to write 
like sort of a straight ahead. There's so many Fatal Attraction clones out there that you're kind of like, all right, you know, been there, done that. Mm. But I also love to make money and I have to make money in order to survive. So I was like, well, let me see what I can do if I can sort of like be a little hacky or something and just like do a sort of straightforward Fatal Attraction on Tinder. Uh, and as I was sort of beating that story out, I just couldn't, I couldn't get myself to do it. I like couldn't be excited about sitting at the computer for five hours a day or whatever it is and like writing this thing. And just my own sensibilities were like, well, what if I go crazy and I twist it? And so I, then I like, so then what ultimately became bad match, um, you know, like happened real quickly. And then, of course, everybody read it and was like, whoa, what the fuck? This is crazy. Like, I don't want we, I don't want this, you know. So I was like, all right, well, I'll just go make it myself then. So, so, so essentially, was that because the the idea of the fatal attraction for the Tinder generation as a kind of brief for you to sit in front of your laptop with was a bit like doing homework as opposed to you writing a screenplay you were going to enjoy? Absolutely. I mean, like, honestly, every writing any screenplay to me is sort of like doing homework just because it's so you see it all in your head and to get it out on the page is like, oh, God, I just want this to be done and realized and whatever. Yeah, so, I, yes, this I, was I, even it, like double it, homework. I was going to say, yeah, because there is there is there is always a pleasure, isn't there, to having written as opposed yes. to the pleasure. The pleasure of writing can happen. But, yes, but, absolutely. But having written is amazing because when you get to page 85, 90, there's a joy. Because you, absolutely. Because there's 90 pages behind you. <laughs> yes, yes. And suddenly you're like, oh, man, now I can actually build off this. Or now I can, like, you know, I find it very hard for me to, like, sit down and if I'm just looking at a bunch of blank white on a page to, like, if I have an hour to kill, like, I'm not going to be able to just sit down and write for that hour if mm -hmm. there's nothing on that page. But if I'm revising and there's something there, maybe it's just a mental thing where I'm like, oh, there's less pressure. There's already something here. I can sit down for 45 minutes if I have 45 minutes to kill and, like, revise an entire scene or something like that. But there's something about the, like, the blankness, the void of that white page that sort of... Freaks me the hell out. I heard somebody say this about because somebody was 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 extolling the virtues of um, sort of script doctors and and the like, and then somebody turned around and just went, "Where were you when the page was blank?" Yeah, <laughs> which yeah. Is, which it's I thought hard. was kind of catty, but it, there's a yeah. lot of, there's a lot of truth in that. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, I I don't even know where it like how I come up because I don't. If I'm doing a if I if I have a writing assignment, then you know you have to write an outline. Yeah. Uh, because otherwise they're not going to hire you to do it. But if generally if I'm writing a script on my own for myself, I almost never write an outline, and really? I just sort really? of like yeah, and I'll just like I basically make the first draft my my outline because okay. a lot of where I can't where where for me like the 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 fun the most fun ideas come from and the most because I like to the movies that I like to make generally like I want to surprise myself when I'm writing mm -hmm. and I find that sometimes that stuff is in the details or sometimes it's writing myself into a corner and then literally being like 
I have no idea how to get out of this scenario. And I'll be sitting there for days and I'll be like, I don't know what to do. I need to start over. And then all of a sudden I'll think of something. And, and if it's surprising to me in the moment as I'm writing, generally it's going to be surprising to the audience member as they're watching. And so I'm trying to bring that sort of vibe to the script. Like right now I'm writing a movie about, you know, this woman that gets like kidnapped by these sort of like alt-right psychopaths. And like, it's just a lot of writing myself into corners where I'm like, this woman is trapped and there's this stuff is happening. Like how does she get out of this? And I'm hoping that, you know, that will translate over once the, you know, fingers crossed movie ever gets that's, made. But that's, that's, that's the, um, I mean, it's a writer's room we do it, but that's the, um, the Vince Gilligan sort of breaking bad school of, <laughs> school of writing is write yourself into a corner and then see where, how you come out fighting from that. I mean, that's. I was literally, as I was saying that, I was thinking of the scene in Breaking Bad where they're like trapped in the um, the uh, RV or something, and and Hank is like knocking on the door, and they're sitting back there like making meth, mm. and you're just like, what is gonna happen next? Mm. And you know, so yes, absolutely, it's totally the Vince Gilligan so, school. So when you when you were sort of when you set off on the journey of the fatal attraction for Tinder, but then you started to subvert your own your own expectations as you were going. What kind mm-hmm. of things were happening on the page that made you begin to see that you weren't doing what you set out to do? Well, you know, in that in that scenario, it was like more kind of I realized what the what the sort of the direction I wanted to go. Mm. Like, I generally have a direction that I want to take. Mm. Um, And so that was sort of like, a lot of this is just like setting up the pieces, you know, so that it can, they can all fall over. So that's sort of, this, this script was actually pretty straightforward in the writing. Like, I don't even really remember writing it. You know, it just sort of like, I wrote it and then it was done all of a sudden. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess we're good here. So, um. You're making me feel sick now. I'm very, I'm very jealous. Not, I'm, ve- I'm very jealous. I'm very jealous of it that. It does not happen to me a lot, and I it's like <laughs> almost, almost never. Usually, I'm sitting there, like going, like, well, I, you know what would be much easier? Just quitting. I should just quit. And like, unfortunately, I don't really have any other specialties. Like, people said I should go into stand-up comedy, but that's also a lot of work, so I don't want to do that. So, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty screwed at the moment. But, um. But for this one, for for whatever reason, it just like, sort of, it just sort of zipped right out of me. So from a, de- a directorial point of view, this is what your is this a deb- is this a first feature? Or... I I can't work it out. You tell me. So I dir- so all right. So here's a story. Bear with me. I'm with you. Uh, when I was like 20, so I moved out to LA when I graduated from college. Right. And I uh, took, you know, I took a bunch of PA gigs, like production assistant work. Mm-hmm. And I did a lot of low budget horror movies. Um, and, you know, a lot of like, I don't know if, if you're familiar with these, but like there's a company called The Asylum that does um, what they call mockbusters. Yeah, I see, that, I see their posters in Cannes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, instead of Transformers, it's Transmorphers or, uh, you know, like, 
Snakes on a Train instead of Snakes on a Plane. Atl- Atlantic Rim was, was one of my favorites. Oh, Atlantic Rim, sure. Yeah, classic. <laughs> um, uh, and so I worked for a lot of, like, sort of people who were asylum graduates. So, yeah. like, they work on movies that are like, and some of them have actually since become my pretty close friends, but, like, um, you know, sort of like sci-fi channel original, like Sand Sharks or, mm. you know, movies like that. And I worked on this one where I sort of befriended the producer, who was also the AD, and um, it would get to the point where, like, he would just be like, hey, I'm going to leave the set. He was not the most professional. And he was like, I'm going to leave the set. Dave, like, just take over. Take over the set. And I'd be like, okay. So, like, suddenly I found myself doing, like, AD work where, whatever, long story short... I think it's sort of he I get a call from him maybe a couple weeks later and he's like, Hey, I've got a business opportunity to discuss with you. I thought, okay, he wants me to write something for him. Hmm. And I go and I meet him and he's like, Hey, so uh we have this movie. We we had this movie, it's called Paranormal Incident. It was a big hit on uh, you know, on video because everybody thought it was paranormal activity. Mm-hmm. And we're doing a sequel. And I thought, Oh, okay. And he's like, Do you want to direct it? And I thought, <laughs> What? And I thought, uh, okay, are you sure? He's like, yeah, yeah, we, we want you to direct it. We think you could do it. I was like, okay, sure. He goes, great, we start shooting in three weeks. So <laughs> all of a sudden I'm, like, working on this movie that, I mean, more – it was it was terrible. I'm pretty sure the whole thing was, like, a money laundering operation. We shot it in, like, nine days. It was, like, all found footage. It was, like, really it, – it, it's really bad. Um and so, like, I got, I almost had no control. I mean, like, I think I appear in the movie as the director because, right, okay. like, I'm standing, because, you know, we're shooting with these two cameras, like, in this entire room, and I'm, like, standing off to one side, and no one noticed that I was there because we're looking at these, like, little monitors that are, like, on the side of a Sony Handycam. So, like, it, it, it was just really bad. So after I realized that, like, even the stuff that I wanted to do that was cool, I was kind of, like, handcuffed with, you know, like, producers telling me, oh, yeah, we'll get this special effect done, and then just not doing it. Wow. So, like, so so after I saw that, um, I thought, okay, like, I can't do this. This can't be my big directorial debut. So on the movie itself, I'm credited as Duke Hitchcock. But uh, on IMDb, it is unfortunately under the name David Churcherillo. And I, I mean, you can maybe find it somewhere, but I really don't recommend watching it. No, it, it, does, it, is, on, it is on the credits, but it does say brackets as Duke Hitchcock. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, the review, I did, the one thing I did was, the, they, they called me up and they asked me to do a commentary on the movie. And I thought, okay, you know, and they go, it, and it has to be in by tomorrow at 9 a.m. And it was like 11.30 that night. So that was the kind of stuff that we got throughout the whole movie. And I was thinking, all right, well, where do I go? What do I, what do, I do to record this commentary? And they're like, well, you have GarageBand on your laptop, right? Just record it on that. So I was like, Jeez. okay. So, so I recorded the entire commentary as Duke Hitchcock and, like, with, like, a what, fake. What, what voice does Duke Hitchcock have? Uh boy. Um, let me see if I can remember it. So Duke, Hitch- Duke Hitchcock was born on an airplane between um, 
Mexico and and French Canada. So he has a very weird accent. Okay. So um, he sort of sounds like this. This is Duke Hitchcock, and uh, we are watching 616, Paranormal Incident. A bus full of babies died while the making of this film was happening. Like, it was stuff like that, where, like, I just completely sort of did this, like, long, improvised, made-up thing. And surprisingly, they didn't put the commentary on the DVD. You are listening to... The Britflix Frightfest Preview Podcast. And that's the end of part one of two of my interview with David Cicciarillo, writer and director of Bad Match. Depending on when you're listening to this, the part two is either coming very soon or is already available from the same place you got this podcast from. Thank you for listening.